This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Morena, no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi ona tangata o Manawatu. Uh, yesterday, uh, an apology. We were meant to be catching up with Jimmy Ellingham from uh, RNZ, looking at what he'd been reporting on in the past couple of weeks, but he was stuck in court all day uh, and couldn't help get to us in time. Uh, but we're back on track today, and we have we are looking at Palmerston North City Council, and on the phone we have Councillor Brent Barrett. Good morning to you. Hey, good morning, Fraser. Good to be here. Thanks for the invite. No, uh, thank you for for accepting it. It's good to to hear from councillors and find out what's going on. Um, Now, last time we spoke to a city councillor, I believe it was Rachel Bowen. Um, She was uh, talking, well, we covered off quite a range of things, actually, but in particular, uh, or interest to people, as it always is, is the city council's annual budget proposal and the, what was it, 8.3% increase that was being proposed? Yep, that sounds like the number and always a topic of interest for councillors and obviously for the community because it is their money Mm. that council uses a lot to take out of their pocket and use to fund all the things that a city needs to run. So yeah, definitely a good topic to pick up on. Well, yeah. And so to to carry on with that, I mean, are, are you getting feedback from the community now about that proposal? I can't imagine uh, people are particularly impressed, although we have to acknowledge that not only is there a rates uh, increase of 8.3% on average, uh, but also I think valuations have just gone through, which is throwing everything um, sideways as well. Yeah, so look, we are getting feedback and we're open for formal feedback through the submission process through 21st of April and would encourage everyone with a view on this to put in a submission and um, share with us views. Certainly a lot of the informal feedback we have is around concerns around the level of that rate rise and also um, concerns around kind of how it falls. It is a bit lumpy and you touched on the revaluations, which might be a direction to explore just a bit. Yeah, I mean, well, 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 let's do that because the other the other thing that people need to be aware of is that you the the, the amount of money the city council is getting is not increasing uh well it's protect, projected to increase 8.3% but the overall pool that's split between your commercial ratepayers your 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 residential uh, rate payers mm-hmm. yep. so it's how it's divided up is changing mm. and it sounds like residents are going to be paying more and the the commercial stuff and the industry stuff is going to be paying less that's that's it summing up in a nutshell so the driver behind that really is that yeah every three years we do a catch-up around revaluation and yeah it, it it determines basically how the pie is sliced if you want to think of it as a pie or it thinks could be seen as kind of how the pain is shared um, in the in the community because 
um, yeah, if, if the particular part of the community where you own property um, shoots up at a, at a higher rate than average, then you're going to feel a bit more pain than, than average if we don't make any sort of correction. So briefly, what's happened just over the last three years is that, as we all know, housing prices and property prices gone insane. So the actual numbers on residential price increase over the last three years to um, use in the rate calculator is a 94.5% increase. So almost a doubling of the average house price in the last three years. Which is insane. I mean, let's just take a moment to appreciate how nuts that is. It is mind-blowing. And there's a whole housing crisis angle on this that you know we could explore as well but when we think about it from the rates point of view the impact is relative to what has happened in the commercial and industrial sector and in that space it's also been mind-boggling growth so in those same three years commercial industrial property again up by an average of just shy of 50 percent 40 48 percent increase so another mind-blowing amount of capital gain um, coming into um, property owners' um, portfolio and and a, a huge increase, forty eight percent for commercial and industrial over the same three years. But you can see there's a difference between the forty eight percent and the ninety four and a half percent that the residentials have gotten, and that's what flows through into that rates calculator and makes it makes it a little bit awkward, actually. So what's what's the plan then? Because uh, the council, I think, periodically has to have a look at. Uh, how it determines who pays what. Um, at the moment, it's based on land value. I, ca- I can't remember, but I know there's there's a model where it's the land the house is on. There's yeah. a model where it's the land and the the value of the house. What's the model we are using yeah. at the moment? Currently using land value, and we'll be sticking with that through this budget cycle, although we're looking uh, to explore capital value, a transition to capital value over time. But in the meanwhile, um those percentages that I gave you are land value changes, and that translates directly into how the budget is sliced up. So what it means in this term for an average residential rate payer is that the number isn't actually 8.3. The number is actually 11.2. And what it means for your average non-residential, commercial or industrial, is that the number is also not 8.3. It is minus 3.5, which is a quite big difference for a homeowner looking on on average plus 11% and somebody that owns a commercial property, which has gone up in value by almost 50%, actually getting a 4% discount on rates. So what can the council do about this? Because you, you referenced mm. the housing crisis. There's a cost of yep. living crisis. I'm tempted to mm. call it that, even though not everyone yep. in central government will. So mm. how can we address that, given that there, the, the I, I assume one perception is that the reason uh, commercial property rates have gone up is because they are more desirable here. Maybe that's got to do with the incoming Kiwi Rail Freight Hub. Maybe it's because mm-hmm. we've been um, largely yep. in insulated from the pandemic, given our large amount of education and and, um, government jobs that you can find around here. Palmerston North is desirable from that point of view. So if if, if businesses are doing well, but residents are doing badly, surely businesses could pay more. 
there is a, a very um, cogent argument around that, and I, I would hope that um, you know the community as a whole does reflect on on what's fair and reasonable in this space. So we do actually have some tools in the current um, kit that can be used to balance this up a bit. Um, they're a little bit technical, but basically one of them is looking at um, applying a, a multiplier to the commercial and industrial space so that they actually get to catch up a little bit more on rates than they would just through what's happened through valuations. Um, so you could add that um, small multiplier in and it would actually make that minus 3.5 maybe a bit more like a plus 3.5 and it might make the residential instead of a plus 11, it might make it like a plus 8. You know, so that sort of thing can be used to kind of draw them together a little bit more. Um, and it's, it, you know, probably one of the stronger ways that we could actually respond in terms of saying, well, actually the property boom, if we want to call it that, or the housing crisis, if we want to call it that, you know, has seen all property values shoot up. And so what we actually need is a proportional response in terms of the actual rates. And what we have is a very unproportional response where um, commercial industrials you know, shot up by nearly 50%, but the rates are not following along because of the amount that residential shot up. Have we heard from, I mean, are the business community feeding back on the rates uh, situation for them? Uh, has anyone uh, had had the uh, tenacity to say, actually, uh, we feel we should be paying more? Look, we're, we'll really look at interest, uh, with interest at the submissions that come in. And, and you know, we, we often do get submissions from um, commercial and, and industrial um property owners and, and their representatives, things like the um, Chamber of Commerce and others. So, yeah, I expect that we'll get some formal feedback around that. And it'll be really interesting to see because that formal feedback obviously flows through in the public realm. And it will be, um, yeah, interesting to see what people um, think of a, a system which, you know, favors some and doesn't favor others, you know, whichever side of that coin they're on. So it's going to be a particularly interesting cycle of, of community feedback. Indeed, we are here with Brent Barrett, City Councillor for Palmerston North City Council. On the catch-up, if you'd like to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, you can just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Um, let's turn to some committee work. Uh, very um, timely bird tweets in the background as we look at environmental <laughs> sustainability. Indeed, indeed. Cue the bird in the backyard with the open window while we socially distance. <laughs> um, just yesterday, we had our Environmental Sustainability Committee meeting, first of the year, and um, had some long-awaited business in it around the city's uh, response to the climate crisis. And, and um, that was kind of the main feature. Um, but we also had a couple of really interesting presentations, one from Massey University around what they're doing in the, in the um, greenhouse gas emissions space. And one from an outfit called the New Zealand Green Building Council, which basically helps us get healthy, warm and energy efficient um, housing and, and buildings um, built. Much like Papeoya Place, I understand. Yeah, so that's a nice example where we have um, led out with, with some development that has um, had an environmental efficiency side and certainly a, a human health side um, to it and, and has a an actual certification or standard around that. Um, and, you know, with literally thousands of homes on the cards in terms of what we're doing with new subdivisions, 
and in terms of what we'd like to see with city-centered living, there's a lot of um, good work to be done in that space to make sure that this real next generation of housing that's built is really good from an environmental sustainability point of view, and as well that we're getting in and making sure that we have strong incentives for people to retrofit and get um, you know, better energy efficiency out of pre-existing existing homes mm. so how is the council doing with the with its response to the climate crisis i mean we're starting to see i think a few more electric vehicles particularly in the resource recovery space obviously resource yep. recovery itself the the recycling's not <laughs> i'm not a fan of the city council's response to recycling and i know there are external factors involved but when you mm. when you have to go well is is this the, the flimsy type of plastic or is this the normal type i mean Surely we should be just recycling everything we can. Yeah, indeed, indeed, and 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 even better than that, actually getting in front of some of that and, and reducing the amount of um, consumption of waste, you know, that actually comes into our homes and businesses in the first place. Yeah, yes, so, my, my wife was complaining about that just last <laughs> night. Why is this thing double wrapped in plastic? Surely it just needs one bit of plastic or none exactly. at all. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, there's some things in the central government space around. Um, product stewardship and other approaches that will, um, as well as, as I understand, some changes in terms of um, packaging standards and phasing out some types like the um, polystyrene um, food clamshell type things are on their way out. And the, you know, some of those really quite hard to deal with, um, fundamentally not very recyclable and, and somewhat toxic. <laughs> mm. Classes are being sidelined, but still as a city, we, we do have a lot to do in the waste space. I think in terms of the wider, um, you know, how we're responding to the climate crisis, in terms of our organizational emissions, what we do with, you know, the rubbish trucks, the council fleet, the council buildings, we're making steady progress there. Um, not as fast as, as some of us would, would say we need to, to really get um, on the front of that wave, but we are working along um, quite well there. The bigger challenge we have is in the community-wide, what we're actually doing through the whole city in terms of land use planning, i.e. where we put houses, where we put roads, and then you know what sort of transport we put on those roads as well has a, a massive effect. We know that the vast bulk of the half a million tons of carbon dioxide that this city pumps out every year comes out of tailpipes. Mm. You know, and so fixing that fundamentally is, how we actually win in terms of responding to the climate crisis. Yes, we need to do things in the waste space. Yes, we need to do things in the energy space. Transport is just, it's huge. Well, you've mentioned uh, like you, the, the, you've mentioned city centre uh, living. We've talked about the the you know the the, the transport uh, problems and the tailpipe emissions. Obviously, city centre living would cut down on a lot of that. Um, mm. You presented to the uh, what's it called the Palmerston North Reserves empowerment amendment bill or something to that effect in, in in a personal capacity i did and more than happy to chat about that yes no i was going to stress that that was in a personal capacity because the city council took this bill to parliament to try and get it uh changed so that the huia yep. street reserve for the old bowling club uh, used to be could be if accepted uh turned into housing we don't know what sort of mm. housing but just to open mm. up that opportunity um yep. why are you against Against that, I'm not against it being used for a housing outcome. I actually think it's a really good use of that piece of land. My concern is that the way the bill is currently configured, it does not provide 
the public with an assurance that the public will retain ownership of the land. No problem with what's built on the land being owned by others, but that land itself, in my view, should remain in public ownership, given the provenance and intent of reserves, and given that in 100 years' time, we also don't really know what the most appropriate use of that piece of land might be. So keeping that control ultimately through ownership in public um, control is is the driver for me in terms of that submission, but very happy for it to see it a housing outcome. Okay, because that, I mean, basically, um, the, most of the media have been reporting that either uh, the, the city council are for it, but the bulk of the submissions were against it. And of course, mm. the more vocal submitters and the ones that have uh, nailed signs to the street corner uh, <laughs> at Huya Street Reserve very much want it to be kept as reserve land. Uh, the problem I have yep. with that is that for the past, oh, I don't know, five, ten years, the place has been completely overgrown uh, and has not been accessible as any sort of recreation or reserve land at all, coupled with the fact that the Esplanade is only two minutes away. Um, do, do you think anyone's concerned around the density of the housing or, or the density of the additional transport without perhaps thinking that this could be another Papayoya place or, or, or high-density housing where you're not expected mm. to own your own transport? Yeah, look, uh, we need to look at that full range of of what the housing options could be there. And this is, again, probably coming now from more of a, a council perspective in terms of that. Um, look, there's there's um, very, very high-density housing that happens in, in places that also have, you know, significant transport needs and constraints. So I'm sure that there is a solution that can see us um, see a, a medium-density housing outcome um, and, and meet transport needs in that space. Fundamentally, you know, it's terribly inefficient the way that we move ourselves around the city currently and as we grow up and in as a city it's going to become more and more important that we have transport that meets those sort of needs and doesn't force everybody into uh, quite inefficient um, cars which take up a lot of space and and don't actually move as many people as we need to move at times. So just to be clear, and going back to taking off your councillor hat and putting on your Brent Barrett individual person hat, um, you're yep. happy for it to be used as housing. You're just worried that the city council, if the bill goes through as it stands at the moment, could then look at that land as an asset that could be punted off to save half a percent on rates, as opposed to retaining yep. the ownership and continually deciding how to use it, which doesn't, I guess... Uh, mean that you know private developers couldn't build on it. It's just the land would stay in public ownership. Yep, you summed it up well. Long-term lease would be fantastic, um, so long as, as council owns the land. There's a real history um, in Aotearoa, and no doubt in other countries as well, of you know local councils making really poor decisions around selling assets. Um, and you know that is a prime asset where you look at where it's located. You put some medium medium density housing on that, it becomes an even more prime asset. So the the pull, the lure of some future council flicking that off for a few million is just going to be too strong. So we have to protect it. We have to make sure that in law, it is very clear that that is public land in perpetuity. And how likely is it that the bill can be amended to reflect that? Is it a simple change or is it back to the drawing board? Look, it's a simple change from my point of view. Um, it simply says that you know, that statement needs to be added in. This land will be held in public ownership in perpetuity. Job done.
Fair enough. Um, let's talk pyrolysis. This is a new science, apparently, and it's it's apparently the uh, the the new and improved and perfect way of dealing with waste and keeping it out of landfill and creating free energy for everyone. Um, <laughs> although that you know there is the old adage of it sounds too good to be true. Uh, regardless, people will be aware that fielding uh, well, Manitou District Council have in essence agreed to lease some land for a new uh, pyrolysis plant. Uh, subject to the public consultation um, that Horizons Regional Council are undertaking, only because it should be stated that uh, a number of people, including Fielding Against Incineration, uh, kicked up a bit of a stink about it, and so it's been opened up to submission, which... I guess, well, A, that's a reasonably good outcome that the people mm. can uh, can raise a concern and that the councils can respond that way. But also people may think this has nothing to do with you, Brent, because you're Palmerston North City Council, not Manawatu District Council. But as you said before we started today, we breathe the same air. <laughs> yeah, and we're part of the same, you know, wider community and, and some of those concerns around um, how we do manage things like waste and 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 what sort of um choices we make around that are are you know i think of, of interest to that wider community but thanks for raising it and and very um timely i think not only that today is the final day for submissions to um, horizons on the matter but really to look at what's happened in terms of, of um getting this out into the public and 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 the public sort of representation and advocacy around it because Without a staunch few actually stepping up, uh, this would have gone through very, very silently behind almost exclusively closed doors, which, to my mind, is is not a good job of of public input and public community-based decision-making for big projects like this one. Especially when it seems, it always astounds me that the science is divided over such a thing. Either it emits something or it doesn't either it's a wonderful idea mm. or it's going to pollute uh the yep. the science that bioplant have have released indicates that it is no more inf- well it is less impactful than landfill and the emissions that come from that but i gather there mm. are opposing views as well i mean w- again you may want to put your individual person hat on but uh, do you have yeah. an opinion on this uh, yeah, so my, my opinion on the actual resource consent application and the supporting evidence, because fundamentally we can only make decisions on evidence and, and the commissioners that will be charged with making decisions will be making it on the basis of evidence. The evidence is actually quite um, sketchy and, in fact, insufficient, in my view, to make a robust decision. There's a lot of claims um, and certainly the sort of media-oriented things that Bioplant has produced have, have made some pretty bold claims. When you actually scratch back and look at what's the evidence, it's very, very thin. Okay, so so I, I guess you'll 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 have made a, a submission on this. If it does go ahead, will there be anything that we can do to monitor the performance of the plant to either you know support the science or to say, look, it's it's not mm-hmm. right. You need to change. Yeah, well, one would hope that if it does go ahead, that there would be a very, very strong um, requirement through the consenting process to establish a a monitoring function. But this is one of the challenges because they point to international examples where this technology has been implemented now for a little more than a decade. But they don't actually provide any, any long-run data from those plants that have been running for over a decade to support this new initiative. 
if I had a plant that had been running really well for a decade, wherever it was on the planet, I would be rolling in with all that evidence and saying, here it is, mm. crystal clear, this is, this is a brilliant, brilliant technology solution. The fact that they haven't done that, to me, really raises some questions around the connection between the claims they're making and the evidence. Now, of course, I'm sure your first uh, reaction would be to say, we just need to reduce our waste production in the first place. But sadly, not everyone has quite caught up with that message. And I know we've spoken to (laughs) Mayor Helen Warboys recently, and she said, Mm. look, fielding is growing really fast and landfill Mm. can't keep going the way it's going. Either we need to purchase more land um, or we need to come up with these new innovative solutions perfect they may not be but it's an alternative to just throwing stuff on the ground and have those emissions uh going into the air i mean she's got a point mm. yeah to, to some extent i mean the emissions calculations are a little bit skewed because they assume that everything that goes into the land still actually creates emissions when it's really only the green waste and the organic waste what i would actually like to see with this plant is that it does proceed but only on the basis that it's said with green waste and organic waste because that's what's driving the emissions out of the landfill, and that's where we know we can actually have a reasonably clean and effective cycle that gives us useful products out the other end. What I'm much less keen on is turning plastics back basically into oil and then having them burned and turning that into emissions. And all of that um, oil-based emissions coming from this process are being ignored in their emissions calculations. So it's a little bit, again, of a a, a case of probably not being well supported by the evidence because if you support if you're creating thousands of liters of diesel which is what this is proposing to do that diesel will have emissions as soon as you put it through a vehicle but their claim is that there's no emissions because it's simply making diesel well we shall watch with interest we've got about a minute and a half brent very quickly mm. the planter box trial on pioneer highway is up for uh well the trials come to an end i believe um what's the the plan there yeah thanks for raising that we are looking forward to making a decision in the very near future um about a a more permanent solution there um it is very likely to not include planter boxes but um there's certainly plenty of space there for a very safe space a separated cycle lane and that's certainly the view that i have is that we want to make sure that people have safe uh, places and and opportunities to actually move around by bike if they choose to and uh, very quickly it is obviously local body elections year uh, i'll no doubt be mm. interviewing you at some point or in some capacity uh well, assuming of course that you're going to be standing again yes yeah, so i can confirm that the green party has um endorsed Uh, my candidacy. I obviously have yet to file official papers, but I can confirm my intent to stand in the 2022 Palmerston North City Council elections. Marvellous. Brent Barrett, uh, City Councillor for Palmerston North, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Fraser. It's been great. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We'll be back tomorrow at half past eight with MP for Rangitiki, Ian McKelvey. Do join us for that, the last catch-up of the week on your Friday. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye for now. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz 
forward slash donate.